What English-speaking democracy requires its citizens to vote and fines them if they don't? <laughs> really? And what's the most expensive single food on Earth? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity with fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. We all know the cost of food is going up, the cost of meals are going up, but your question is about the most expensive meal? Yeah, we talked, remember I've had questions in the past about the most expensive dinner here or there, like pizza, but it had a whole bunch of things in it, and it always had gold in it, right? That's right, flecks of gold or something, (laughs) like, why do I want to eat that? Yeah, but this question is about what is the most expensive single food on Earth? The most expensive single food on Earth. Right. When it's cooked, I mean, is this like a steak or something like that? Is it prepared or is it just the food? It's just the food. Just, just the, the food way it itself. comes. Just the way it is. Just gotta love it. Just the way you can't are. be corn. Can't be corn. <laughs> corn. And, well, I mean, corn. We're talking. That's a food. Yeah. I, I, I give Marsh. What would it be? It's not going to be on your plate anytime soon in the kitchen. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that. In Bal- our kitchen. <laughs> yeah, beluga caviar. Ooh. You've heard of that, of course, haven't you? Yes, yes. Well, apparently it is the most expensive food in the globe. What is caviar made of again? Oh, it's fish eggs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Siberian sturgeon caviar is prized for its salty, earthy taste. And the fish eggs are found primarily in the Caspian Sea, which means countries like Iran and Russia are the primary providers of this delicacy. Okay. And so Iranian bulaga caviar will cost you between $3,200 and $10,000 per pound. <laughs> I'll take two, please. $10,000 a pound. Gosh. Depending on the quality of it, can cost you that much. Does that come with the bun? Well, <laughs> <laughs> don't you eat it no, with bread? No, no, just kidding. Crackers. Okay. Crackers. <laughs> wow, I don't know, Marsh. I don't think I'm going to go for that anytime soon. Okay, have you you eat caviar? Don't no, you? I don't think I have. Really? Oh, no. I have. I I don't mind it. I don't think I've ever had the really good stuff. Maybe. Do you think it's worth that kind of money, Marsh? No, nothing is. Okay. Okay. Well, Marcia, there is an English-speaking country, yes. a democracy, yes. which requires its citizens to vote and fines them if they don't. Well, that's a little harsh. Uh, a little harsh, but it gives them real good numbers <laughs> when it comes to an election, how many people participate. It's, what country is that? Is it something like New Zealand? It's something in that area. Australia? It's Australia. That's where voting is not a right, it's mandatory. Wow. And it's wrong not to vote. (laughs) It's not a right, it's wrong to avoid it. Yeah, in the United States where you have the right to vote, only about half of the eligible voters ever bother to show up and cast their ballots. Right. 60% made it to the polls in the last presidential election, and midterms are about 40%. Well, guess what? In Australia, the uh, rate is typically 90%. Well, what do they do to that 10%? They give them a fine. Oh, is that what you get? A yeah. fine? Australia is the only English-speaking nation where voting is required by law, and as a result, their turnout is huge, 90%. They can still decline to vote by casting a blank ballot. The law only mandates they show up 
have to show up, and you'll be fined if you don't show up. But it's only about 20 Australian dollars, so it's not a huge fine. But if you don't want to fine, you, yeah. don't, you vote, you uh, know? Well, that's that's doable, $20. So if you're really being a lazy ass that day, what? say, I'll take the $20 hit. Huh? Voting is also mandatory in Chile and in Belgium. No kidding. Yeah. Australia is the country that we're talking about here, though. If you don't vote, you get fined. Robert, Andrew. Yes. Can any airplane flying in the air withstand the electromagnet pulse of a nuclear explosion? I don't think it would be able to, no. No. I think it would cause big problems. Wrong. Oh, tell me the answer. Which one do you think can? Which what? Which airplane can? Uh-huh. Air Force One. That's it. <laughs> can you believe it? <laughs> I'm sure it's it? shielded from all kinds of things. Oh, that would be the Boeing VC-25A, a modified Boeing 747-200. It can withstand the electromagnetic pulse of a nuclear explosion. That is amazing. Isn't that It's like a mind? tank in the sky. Yeah. Amazing. Yes, it is. Okay, Marcia, here's a food question. Mm-hmm. What world religion influenced McDonald's menu? What world religion has influenced McDonald's menu? Well, you mean not at the beginning, but now, recently? Sometime since they began. Okay. Uh, Just think of their menu. I am. What would there be that maybe religion influenced it? Well, uh, well, cows? uh, Hindus? No. The Roman Catholic Church. Britannica.com reports that McDonald's filet fish was invented and introduced to help increase business among Catholics. On Friday. Because at the time, Catholics traditionally did not eat meat on Fridays. Yes. So that's why McDonald's introduced filet fish Yes. So I, religions can still influence menus yeah, these days. That's interesting. I do remember that. But you forgot it. I told you how I would taunt my Catholic friends with eating cheeseburgers in their face on no. Fridays. No. Did you actually do that? Yeah. You yeah. came up to them and said, hmm, doesn't this taste good? I did. Oh, you were terrible. I was, yeah. What well, was wrong with you? Well, we'll talk later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have one. All right. Speaking of Air Force One, how many are there? I think there's two Air Force Ones. There's an Air Force One and an Air Force Two, I believe. No. How many? There's two Air Force Ones. They're not Air Force One and Air Force Two. They're both called exactly the same thing. Okay. If the, if the president is on board, that's the only time it's called Air Force One. What's it called otherwise, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, you're correct. No. Since, hey, get Fred over here. Since 1990, the presidential fleet has consisted of two highly customized Boeing 747s. And the color baby blue for that plane was selected by Jackie Kennedy. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I didn't know that. And the lettering on the plane that says Air Force One. Right. It's a font inspired by the heading of the Declaration of Independence. I did not know that. I think Jackie did that, too. That's why it looks so distinctive. Yeah. I always liked the way that looked on the plane. Yeah, and that was the thinking behind the font. So they created a font that looked like Uh the Declaration of Independence. Uh I'll be darned. That's cool. I thought that was cool, too. All right, Marcia, what was unusual about Charles Darwin's diet? Gosh, you know... Charles I've Darwin, who wrote that. The Origin of the Species yes. and propagated the theories he didn't of eat meat. evolution. He didn't eat monkey no, meat. No, he ate a lot of meat, as a matter he of fact. He ate a lot of meat. Yes. What was unusual about his meat diet, Marcia? He liked monkeys. No. Meat. Monkey meat? No. I don't know, Bob. When he was a student at Cambridge University, he was in a group called the Glutton Club. Oh, jeez. And they specialized in eating unusual food. Really? 
So on campus, he was known to have eaten birds like hawks and owls. And then during his voyages, he dined on many exotic animals, pumas, iguanas, armadillos, giant tortoises. Yes, Charles Darwin not only studied the famous Galapagos tortoises, he ate them as well. (laughs) Can you believe that? But his greatest meal was a 20-pound rodent, which he described... Oh, jeez Louise! (laughs) Which he described as the best meat I ever tasted. Come on! The best meat I ever tasted. It's believed it was an agouti, which is a rodent that grows to the size of a rabbit. Yeah, well, maybe it was highly seasoned and marinated. He didn't only study species, he ate them as well. (laughs) I had no idea. He was all in. He committed to the role. He really did commit to the role. I mean, he wanted to learn about the evolution of these things. I'm going to eat them as well. Uh, (laughs) That's the same kind of disappointment I had when I realized that Audubon, who drew all those beautiful birds, killed every one of them. That's how he got them to stop moving. He would shoot those animals and kill them. Then he would draw them. So they were all dead. Beautiful birds, Audubon, Darwin, origin of the species, (laughs) kill the species. I'm sorry. I'm just very disillusioned. Yeah, you are, honey. So disillusioned today. Uh, I'll cheer you up. Okay. What are the seven ages of man, according to Shakespeare? That's a good one. I don't know what they called them. I really can't tell well, you. Well, just name a couple stages. Well, infancy. That's number one. Middle ages are somewhere. I don't know what he called it. Yeah, he had different names. And old age. Those are the three I'm familiar with. Yes. He has seven of them in there, so he's okay. probably got some in the middle. You did get the infant right. Okay. Second, the schoolboy, the lover, the soldier, the justice, the pantaloon, The pantaloon? Don't ask. And the second childhood. (laughs) The pantaloon? I don't know. Where did he get clothing mixed up with the seven ages of man? I don't know. Maybe that's when you're prancing and older. I think that's the older thing. Is it where you wear long pants? Is that what it is? Is that what he meant? I don't know. And what was the last one? The second childhood. That's what you and I are in right now. Don't you think? (laughs) That's a nice thing to call it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty silly these days. Oh, very silly. Very silly. Unfortunately, it's the last one on the list of seven. Well, uh, what can I say? (laughs) Okay. All right. I got another animal question. All righty. What creature in the animal kingdom makes sounds as loud as a jet engine, but can't go deaf thanks to a mechanism in its head? What animal is it? Ask me any clues you'd like. Is it like a cricket? No, it's not like a cricket. Is it a small thing? No, it's not a small thing, but it's not a huge thing. thing. It's not a huge huge. thing. It's a middle of the road thing. Middle of the road thing. Is it in America? We have a lot of them. We do. Okay, then it's, uh, I have no idea. Don't you ask any other questions? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Is it a mammal? Is it a fish? Any of those? Yes. Mammal? No, it's a bird. Oh, it's a bird. Yeah. What is the bird? It's the rooster. Really? The barnyard rooster. Crows that wake up the world. A rooster's crow can reach 130 decibels, according to Britannica.com. And that's roughly the loudness measured near a jet airplane when it takes off. Pretty good, huh? (laughs) That's annoying. It can be really annoying, but I didn't think they were that loud. Well, 130 decibels. That's how loud roosters are. So why don't they go deaf? Any idea? Uh, no. Interesting mechanism in their auditory canals. Uh-huh. The auditory canals, that's what you're hearing through, you know, yeah. the ear canals. The auditory canals in a rooster's head partially close when its beak opens. Oh, that's convenient. So that's what prevents roosters from going deaf from their own crowing. 
I wish we had something like that. Oh, honey, no. You, I don't want you to shut down. I think some people's brains shut off as soon as their mouth opens, don't you? It's like, can he actually believe what yeah. he just said? Yeah, My no God. kidding. Here's the second half of the question I previously asked you about seven. You're referring to that seven ages of man Shakespeare thing we just did. Yes. Okay. All right. Now this is, what are the seven colors of the rainbow? Well, that's different. Okay, I would say yellow, green, pink, orange, Red, two, three, four, five, white, and I don't know what the other one is. No, no. Okay, what are they? No, you obviously, you don't know the Roy G. Biv. What's Roy G. Biv? Oh, you never heard of that. Oh, okay. What's Roy G. Biv? That's how you remember the colors of the rainbow. That's I never heard of That's the mnemonic device people use to remember. Okay, red. so it's red, green. Red, orange. Okay. Yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Well, I only missed a couple there. Yeah. So I should get some credit. Okay, you get I, some credit. I think I didn't say indigo. And, I thought uh, indigo was blue. Indigo and blue It's are... a deeper blue. Okay. And violet. They're so all... what are they again? The seven colors of the rainbow. Now that you know it's Roy G. Biv, see if you can tell me back. Oh, my God. Come on. Red. Mm-hmm. <laughs> red, orange, yellow. Correct. Green. Correct. Biv. B-I-V. Mm-hmm. Black. No. no. Blue. Right. Indigo. Uh-huh. V is, oh, Violet. Right, bravo. Oh, okay, See, thank now you. now you got it. Roy G. Biv. That's how uh, school kids remember that. I don't remember learning that as a school kid. Well, now you can know it as an old man. Oh, right. <laughs> Makes me feel so good. I think I need a break now. Okay. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith with Roy G. Biv That's right. in the wings. He'll be joining us shortly. Okay. I'm Robert Rickman, host of OK Boomer. Yes, we like to entertain you with colorful features, boomer history, and brain fog, but we also tell you about serious stuff such as... The amount of money taken in from property taxes continues to rise. The actual percentage allocated to senior centers is declining. We search all week for news boomers need to know and make it available to you on OK Boomer. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. OK Boomer! We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this each week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and its CPL radio, internet radio station. And after that, it goes on podcast platforms throughout the world. Incidentally, if you are listening to our show, we would love to have people rate and review by going to the podcast platforms. That always helps us get more ah, visibility yeah, on the web. Good point. All right, Marcia, in our summer of Barbenheimer, Barbie, and Oppenheimer <laughs> movies, All right. ever hear of Totally Hair Barbie? Yeah, isn't that the one that's down to her feet? Yeah, when was that? Do you know? No. 1992, Mattel released Totally Hair Barbie. Now, Barbie is 11 and a half inches tall, and with this doll... It had 11 and a half inches of crimped hair, which fell to her toes. Uh-huh. That is the best-selling Barbie in history, because little girls could take that hair, and they could dye it and color it and cut it. And, and they cut it a lot. Yes, they I, did. That's why I want to see the movie. I want to see the, <laughs> the sad Barbie after been out of the box too long. All right, and what would Barbie's body dimensions be as a real girl? Oh, weren't they like uh, 50? No. All right, tell me. 39. Uh-huh. An impossible 18 uh-huh. for the waist and 33 for the hips. Ah. So a little top-heavy, but very, very tiny waist. Well, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll go back to that later. And they usually say that the neck was so thin it couldn't support her head in, <laughs> in real life. So, yeah, just some interesting. That's I'm done with Barbie now. Are you? Yeah, I know. Okay, I can Done with on. my dolls. 
All right, Bob, you've heard the term hands down. Yes. Like she won hands down means she won without question. Do you know what it stands for? Hands uh, down. Where, where it, uh, the origin of that expression came from? It's almost like you're, you were doing something, so then you're putting your hands down to show your weapons are gone or you're ready to do something else. Hands down, I'm, I'm not holding anything. I don't know. What is it? I would have guessed it had to do with card games. You know, you put your hand down. Oh, okay. But it isn't. It has nothing to do with a winning hand of cards. The expression actually comes from the earliest days of horse racing. Oh, really? You wouldn't have guessed that. No. If a horse was approaching the finish line well ahead of the pack, the jockey would release the reins, giving the animal free rein to finish. So he put his hands down. He put his hands down oh. and let the horse ride himself in. So it was the hands down winner. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's thought, great. I didn't know it. I thought it was interesting. Wow. That's pretty cool. Uh-huh. I had no idea. All right, Marcia. The U.S. exports more of what? What does the U.S. export more of than any other country in the world? I'll give you choices here. Oh, thank you. Cars, uh-huh. food, uh-huh. computer parts, uh-huh. or coffee? Coffee. No. I didn't think so. <laughs> uh, computer parts. No. No. <laughs> uh, what were the first other two? Food, cars, computer parts, or coffee? It would have to be food. It is food. (laughs) The U.S. is an agricultural powerhouse, and it exports more food than any other country in the world. Really? And it's responsible for 5% of our gross domestic product and 10% of U.S. employment. And guess what? China is the top export market for our food coming from the U.S. China? China. Huh. They may get us computers and TVs, but we, we give, give them, them food. food. Yes. Wow. All right. Now, what country does the U.S. import the most goods from? And uh, I'll give you choices. Thank you. Mexico, uh-huh. China, uh-huh. Japan, uh-huh. or Canada? Uh-huh. China. That's right. China is our biggest import partner. China accounts for 18% of the total goods making their way to the U.S., and it's a wide range. I just mentioned a few, you know, electronics and so forth, but clothing, footwear, furniture, home goods, automotive parts, and more. These are from travelquiz.com. I just took. It was very good. It was on some very fascinating and interesting things, which we'll get to in a later show. All right, Bob, did you ever wonder why? No, no, I never did. (laughs) Why doesn't water in fire hydrants freeze in the winter? Oh, that's a good question. Why doesn't water in fire hydrants freeze in the winter? I would assume that the valve for the water is not at the top of the fire hydrant. It's down deeper underground. It's down like ground level. No. No? But your thinking is right. So are the fire hydrants that well insulated? No. Okay, what's the answer? Well, you can't freeze what's not there. There is a nut that controls the flow of the water to the hydrant. You know how they use that big wrench? Yeah. That nut is attached to a long stem that goes way underground and controls the flow of water. When the water flow is closed, the standing water above the valve is drained out automatically. And well, that's no kind of water. what I, it's kind of what I said, isn't it? Water is at the ground level or below? You said that uh, the valve was below. You said Well, the, yeah, that's what they just said. What does it say? The nut controls the flow of water underground. When the water flow is closed, the standing water above the valve is drained automatically. Yes. So that's what I said. The water is below the valve, not at the top of the fire hydrant. It's down deeper underground. Well, you didn't. We can have an argument here if you want to. (laughs) I'll give you a 65%. 65%. I deserve nine out of 10 on that one. (laughs) Ning, 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 ning. I'll ring my own bell. All right. All right, Marsha. What colorful food expression, meaning easy, wasn't used 
until 1936. Piece of cake. That's right. Piece of cake, meaning something is simple to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Well, people think that expression is related to African-American cakewalks, which came into being in the 1860s. You know, dancers would walk around the yeah. cake while the music was playing. I love cakewalks. And so cakewalk became an expression for something easy. Oh, it's a cakewalk. Uh-huh. But the expression piece of cake, which has a similar meaning, wasn't used until 1936. Huh. Cake and pie have a long history in the United States as metaphors for things that come easy. I remember the cakewalk when I was in grade school, and uh, it was pretty easy. All you had to do was walk around, and when the music stopped, you sat down. Yes, right. Unless there was, there always one chair less, though. And See, my neighborhood was poorer. I played musical chairs. It was no prize. <laughs> and the music stopped. Chairs keep disappearing. It was not a fun game. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. You did it grow was up a in poorer, poverty. It was a poorer neighborhood. Yeah, I guess so. No pie, no cake in that one. Okay, Mr. McHistory, why did pilgrims... Hats have buckles. Why did pilgrims' hats have buckles? Hmm. Why did they have to make their hats tighter because the winter winds would blow them off? I don't know. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, Bob. They didn't have buckles. It was the Puritans. They had buckles. Oh, geez. Pilgrims actually liked to spruce up in bright colors and fancy clothes. Puritans had buckles. Also, the black and white drab clothing. Hat buckles became a fashion thing in the late 17th century. Nobody really knows why. Like, why do people wear ripped jeans? It was just a look. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a, quite a ways from a buckle on your hat to ripped jeans, Well, Marcia. it was a look. It was a fashion statement. I have a question on a city, Marcia, a city you've been to. What American city is split down the middle by a state line? On both sides, it's got the same name. Is it New York? No, it's not New York. This city is split down the middle by a state line. It's got the same name, the exact same name on both sides of the state line. Would that be St. Louis? No, that's East St. Louis and St. Louis. So Uh there's a difference there. How about Kansas City? That's it. It's in two pieces, Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. Why are there two Kansas cities? I can't remember when I was there, my girlfriend told me. Well, they were originally two different names. Kansas City, Missouri was founded in 1889. It was a combination of settlements Westport, founded in 1830, and the city of Kansas, founded in 1853. That's what it was originally called, the city of Kansas, Missouri. Uh Well, by the 1870s, the city of Kansas, Missouri was popular, growing fast. So officials across the river in Kansas... They wanted to capitalize on that, so they formed Kansas City, Kansas, and eventually both cities became known as Kansas City. But originally it was the city of Kansas, Missouri. All right. Interesting. Oh, fascinating. What's the name of the river that cuts them in half, though, Marsh? Yeah, Kansas City River. It's the Kansas River, Marsha. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bob, why don't ladies faint as much as they used to in Victorian days? Probably because they're not wearing those really tight corsets like they used to wear, all this tight clothing. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And And now those corsets they wore actually made them have the figures of Barbie. Oh. <laughs> it, they really did. What was desirable for women then was 18-inch waist. Oh, no kidding. Which would be like six, seven, eight inches thinner than your own actual waist. So they couldn't breathe, and they were smashing their internal organs. Ugh. And so it crushed their organs, and that could play havoc with their longevity, their lives. Literally. So the women who wore those very tight corsets probably reduced their lifespan. 
Yes, and they even put them on little kids because they thought it would keep their spine growing erect and stuff. Jeez. But anyway, fainting was so common, especially for women with low blood pressure, it actually became a fashionable and feminine thing to do. Oh, she fainted. Yes. Oh, she's so delicate. It also became an excuse for ducking out of any situation you wanted to, kind of <laughs> like the dog ate my homework. <laughs> and you got sympathy for it and probably your own fainting couch. I have to remind you that we left my last high school reunion early because you had a digestive problem, Marsh. What does that have to do with fainting? Well, it's like sometimes people think, oh, to get out of Yeah, to get out of things, but I don't think you did that intentionally. No. The only time that I recall almost fainting, it was because of my brother's wedding and I was standing up at the front and I had on, you know, this little dress and I had on a corset, and it sucked in my sides, and I just got dizzy, and I started to fall wow. over. Wow. Was some- that Dan's wedding? Yeah. Jeez. That's what I said. So I can imagine what a corset would do to you. Well, that's that's tragic, really, when you think about that. Tragic fashion. It, that that's a, a good way to put it. That a corset would ruin your life that way, just like high heels can ruin well, posture and everything well, oh, else. Oh, six-inch heels? The, that, that's a, what did you call it? Tragic fashion. Tragic fashion. Yes. That's exactly. You don't know what that does over time to women's feet and all, their spine and everything. It's just disgusting. A couple people decide, oh, this is a fashion statement, and women look better in being six inches taller. But anyway, I don't mean to go on. Oh, you did, though. I did. All I right, Marcia. <laughs> I've got a... <clears throat> I love the two-minute warning in football. Mm-hmm. That's because things get usually exciting uh, around the two-minute warning, which you have at halftime and at the end of the game. Right. But how did that rule come about, Mr. Smith? How did the two-minute warning come about? Uh-huh. And that's kind of a recent thing, isn't it? I mean, in the last 30 years or so? No. No, okay. Longer than that. Oh, really? See, I, I don't remember being aware of that. Well, maybe maybe in the 60s or something like that. Because you know. didn't watch football till I made you. <laughs> no, I used to watch football. I watched football enough in my life, let me tell you. I played in pep bands. I was at football games oh, that's right, right you and had left. To be there. You were the... I was at a lot of football games. And you were peppy. And your girlfriend was a cheerleader. That's right, which you've always had a sore <laughs> skin about. I don't understand that. But that you was, like that? That sort was the of thing. first marriage, and no. it still bothers you. Okay, uh, I don't know the answer, though. We're way All off right. course here. We are. Until 1942, the official time was kept on the field and scoreboard clocks were rarely on the same page as field time. So coaches didn't know what to go by and when the game was over. So there was no official clock that everyone could see. No, there was nothing, and it was very unfair because they weren't ready, and oh, the game's over, you lose. Oh, dear. So different from today when everybody can see how far things are going. Yeah, it was a nagging problem that affected, like I said, the fairness of so the game. they wanted to make both teams understand just how much time is left, and that's before the stadium clocks became the official timekeepers yeah. of the yes. game. They decided then that everything would stop when the clock hit two minutes. That okay. There'd be a timeout that everybody could stop and have figure out a how, way to wrap up. Isn't that funny? And they don't do that in college ball. They don't? No, I thought that was interesting. I was reading about that here as you were telling me the answer. Uh-huh. Did college football ever have a two-minute warning? There is no two-minute warning in college football. Well, you won't catch teams taking that particular break from the action. Maybe because they probably had a better formula. They're college teams. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you got some uh, last-minute thoughts there? I do. I do. A couple of quotes on character. My favorite and one of the very popular ones is C.S. Lewis. Okay. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. 
Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah of that's course. That's one of my favorites. I, I like that. used to say that to our kids. And Ray Kroc, McDonald's founder. Ah. It's easy to have principles when you are rich. The important thing is to have principles when you're poor. Well, that <laughs> means have principles all the time. Yes, it does. All right, that's it for today. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The, the Off-Ramp. Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.